I just looked at life as it was. I had a job, I had money, and I was happy, or not. And if I wasn't happy, then I complained and drank, and there wasn't really any structure to it, it was just life was life. To be able to just even basically separate health, career, and money, it started to give me access to how do I change that specific thing. It took me stepping aside, actually dedicating the time to understanding that there are these different aspects of life, of setting aside and saying, okay, here's this particular slice of life. What do I want from that? Helping people build ambitious and satisfying careers, businesses, and lives. This is the Influence Ecology Podcast. Now, here is your host, John Patterson. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm your host, John Patterson, the co-founder and CEO of Influence Ecology, the leading business education in transactional competence. Broadcasting from Ojai, California, this podcast features case studies, stories, and lessons from business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs who found real solutions, results, and satisfaction not only with work, career, and money, but in every area of life. In our featured interview, we speak with Brandon Hollenbeek, a tech product manager who works with startups to help them drive data-driven decisions as they begin to become scalable. His competency for accurate thinking has helped him sift through the shortcut culture popular in the current marketplace. Having assisted in the success of two well-known startups, his journey can help us all sort through the complex, noisy, quick-fix narratives of our current popular media. In our Guru Talk, we'll listen in on the second session of a Fundamentals of Transaction Program webinar classroom to hear a talk on the importance of accurate thinking and the satisfaction of your aims. So Brandon, if you would, please tell us who you are and what you do. Well, I'm Brandon Hollenbeek. I live in Chicago. I am a tech product manager in the Chicago tech community. I work with stage two and three growth stage companies to help them become scalable. I work with their systems and data and help to bring intelligence to each of the business teams so we can make decisions to achieve business aims and grow the company as planned. All right, good. And for anybody that's not in the tech industry, is there any way that you might say that dirt in the streets description of what you do? Yeah, I work with uh, tech startups as they're really becoming scalable. Usually when you're trying to grow a company, you're doing whatever you need to in order to make the money, in order to grow the company. At some point, you reach momentum, though, where now you need to have structured processes. You need to know how the company's doing. You need data like real time in a fashion that it's actually intelligence, not just raw data that you have to sit there and ponder because you need to be able to make decisions quickly. So essentially, I come in, this is my third company that I've actually done this with, and I help reorganize the systems that you're using to run the business, structure the data in a readable and usable fashion. So each business team has the information and the intelligence they need to make wise data-driven decisions. That's really great. And you've been part of three distinct companies, two of which I know we'd recognize, all of us, and you've been instrumental in their growth and success. Can you say what those two companies are? Sure. Apartments.com. I was there for seven years and helping them. That's, that was the first time I kind of assembled this you know, business process, business systems idea. I then went over to Trunk Club 
And I was early in that company, helped them become scalable and was there through their acquisition to Nordstrom. I did my own startup for a year and a half. So I got that really gritty uh, starting from scratch. Contrary to popular media, not every startup is destined for fame and fortune. It twisted and turned in, in, into a direction that wasn't attractive, uh, at least at this point. And so I'm now at a growth stage healthcare tech company called Outcome Health. So we're actually focused on health outcomes here in the United States and eventually global. So we, we help bring technology and education to physicians and patients to help improve patient outcomes. Throughout your journey, one of the things I've watched you deal with is working for yourself or working for someone else. And I think you played around a little bit with uh, working for yourself. And now you're working, I don't know if you're working for someone or if you're a consultant or contractor for the organization now. I'm a full-time employee. I prefer that because it, it just builds that trust when you're fully in the team and you're not just, you're not going to be here today and gone tomorrow. For this kind of change, this kind of organizational as well as infrastructure change, it really requires a trust of everyone because it touches almost every business team. I prefer to have the skin in the game role. We can take our conversation from here. So one of the things that you'll hear entrepreneurs often say or, or certain people often say is the only way to make a lot of money is to work for yourself or by yourself or to own your own company. And that certainly has not been the case for you. Influence Ecology has customers who are entrepreneurs and small business owners and a lot of people who are not. What would you say about that? And how did you come to determine that you'd prefer to work for someone as opposed to for yourself? There's a lot that goes into being able to start your own company, being able to find the, the business model that works and be able to scale that, especially determining what your customer is and what problem you're trying to solve. So this education is super helpful for helping determine how do you actually solve that problem? Who is your specific customer? How might you go about it? It comes down to what we call specialized knowledge, but it's our skills and our expertise and our training in our career and study where mine is specifically in B2B companies and B2B solutions. Businesses working with other businesses. So my startup was a box office app that worked with small stage theaters to help grow their audience. I had my business working with other businesses to help them with their operations. When it started morphing and we needed to pivot, we pivoted two or three times to find the right fit. And really what was working for that business was focusing on consumer marketing. So that led us into more of a business to consumer or B2C company and business model where we're focusing everything on trying to get known and trying to capture any kind of mind share of consumers of on a Tuesday night. Did you know that there are 150 shows to go see in Chicago on any random Tuesday night because there are over 600 theater companies here? It's not something you normally think of on a Tuesday night. So not only am I having to convince you to go to Buzz on stage to buy your tickets, but I'm also having to just convince you to think about theater. In my experience, it's I know what I'm good at, and I want to I solve a problem for customers in a particular way, but that also uses my expertise. I think that's really what the trick is, to find a need, be able to solve it, but you're the one with your expertise that's able to solve that. Mm. It just started looking like a worse and worse business model. Yeah. And financially, having done this study, I knew you know what the time was when I need to actually pull the trigger and make the decision, okay, I need to go start to go work for somebody else because there is safety in that security of a steady paycheck and being able to work on something that's exciting uh, that's 
not yours that you don't have like total responsibility for. There's a there's a safety and a funness that's different than having your own startup. It's a hard decision, but it's one I definitely needed to make. Yeah, I remember you're going through that. Well, I think one thing that would be really great is to say just a moment about where you are now to give people a sense of your accomplishment and what's happened now. So tell us about now and what was life before Influence Ecology. Sure. I've been studying for seven years now, so it was great to think about this. That's a long time. I know. (laughs) I can't believe it's been seven years already. Life was good. I had a great relationship. I had a one-bedroom apartment, Lakeview in Chicago, overlooking the lake, just having fun, going out a lot, drinking a lot, and making the best of what I could and trying to maneuver the corporate ladder as best I could with the opportunities that came. Didn't have any savings, lived paycheck to paycheck, and that was it. And you and I had known each other, and you had a blog that I started following and started reading about a few things about what if you could start designing how you lived or what if you were able to do this piece with your career. That moment, I would say, is when I started thinking in this direction. Like I hadn't thought about planning at all, specifically maneuvering. I'm from a small town in Kansas. I'm just learning as I go along. And I found it fascinating because I love learning and being able to purposely maneuver, I found super fascinating. What does life look like now? I've got a fantastic relationship. We just bought a house north of Chicago. Our finances are fantastic. Barely have any consumer debt left. We're able to vacation several times a year, usually internationally. All these different things that I wasn't able to do. Essentially, I've been able to design my career since we've been working on our aims in different conditions and designing transactions around that, studying personality types to actually achieve those goals and those aims. And it's fantastic to have that ability, but also, you know, like with our study group and our, the relationships that I'm able to build uh, with people that share that same skill and can hold me accountable and I can hold them accountable and a rising tide lifts all boats. So it's been a trip. <laughs> <laughs> it has been. I love that quote, by the way. I haven't heard that in a while. I always love that because it does point to a few things about influence ecology and some of the reasons we exist because this is a yeah a very ambitious peer environment of people who are working together towards the satisfaction of their aims. What difference did it make when you first learned about what influence ecology means by the term condition of life? I didn't ever consider different aspects of life as separate. I just looked at life as it was. I had a job, I had money, and I was happy or not. To be able to just even basically separate health, career, and money, the separation of career versus work versus money, and how we actually distinguish those as three separate things, it starts to give you access to how do I change that specific thing. Like if I want money, what is money? Money is a tool. Health. Health is the, I say the easiest one to consider as a thing and kind of separate that out. But I don't know that I had any aims in that because I've generally been healthy. I have really high metabolism, blah, blah, blah. I hadn't really considered what are the health impacts I should be looking at. I have a history of cancer in my family. I have a history of IBS and stomach issues in my family, of dental problems in my family. And so now I'm able to actually like focus on those and have conversations about those where I had no idea. I just knew that my stomach got upset 90% of the time after I ate. And so by doing that, I could alter my diet or cut out certain things. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm feeling better throughout the day just by spending a few minutes or a few conversations with folks and 
developing an aim in that particular area. And so you multiply that by the 15 aims that we've identified so far, and you start to be able to move each one of those with defining your aims as the first step for each one. And things start to change for the better. And I mean, a lot better. When you first began to distinguish conditions of life as 15 distinct things, right, to satisfy, did you first find out that you were naive about some of them? Did you think right away, oh, I get this? What started to happen when you started to see that work career and money were things that people commonly collapsed together like they were one thing. A sense of doom first. <laughs> you know, like I, I hadn't considered you know most of these and, it, and the first thing we do is distinguish it and then how are you doing with that? And I'm like, that sucks. So as we look at each one, I'm like, oh, I, I had no idea. But then through that conversation, it's nothing but an access. Because for me, I'm always looking to learn and to improve myself and to get the most out of life. And this was a direct access for me. I didn't know that you could separate life into these unavoidable conditions as we talk about not only money, but sociality, relationship, education, even. So again, just I'm from Southern Kansas, you know, I, I'm not very, I have not ever been very interested in politics because it's, it's always the same in Kansas. But it is unavoidable, meaning politics affects me every day. So what influence do I want to have with that? What are my aims with politics? Mine right now is at least to be educated. I can go into a voting booth and know more than the first name on the ballot. I fortunately know a lot more, but I didn't start out that way. Right. First of all, work, career, and money are three different conditions of life. And many people collapse those together like they're one thing. The easiest example is if you think about Tiger Woods and Tiger Woods and those three conditions of life, you could say that Tiger Woods, what he does for work is hit golf balls. That's what he does. That's the doing. What he does to make money is endorsements. And his career, in other words, the way he's known, his identity in the marketplace, is as a master of some particular sport. And you can see that he's messed with his identity over the years. When he was a masterful golfer, he was on every mastery billboard for all kinds of things. But as soon as he trashed his identity in his personal life, then his career also impacted his money and that condition of life. So one thing that we've seen people do commonly is that they collapse those three things together like they're one thing and then just go about laboring to make more money, they trash their identity, and they often are working too hard. So right in the beginning of what we teach, people see the naivete of all of that and start to think to themselves, well, wait a second, if I'm not thinking accurately about these three conditions of life, I'm probably not thinking accurately about any of them. I wonder what I'm not seeing. So that's the experience we hope people have, and I know you've had that experience. Anything else you want to comment about that? No, that's, that was perfect. So in the beginning of our work and our Fundamentals of Transaction program, we have people begin to look at their aims in these conditions of life. So to make it clear, what is your aim for money? What is your aim for your career, your identity? What is your aim 
for your work, what you want to do with your mind and your body every day. And you might say, well, I don't want to work much (laughs) and I want to make a lot of money and I'd like to be known for the impact that I have on this or that, right? And then you go about building transactions to satisfy those three different things. So you and I, we've been in groups for quite some time actually doing the work to construct our aims in 15 different conditions of life. And your notes that you sent, Brandon, you talk a little bit about your journey in both discovering the conditions and really now in your most impactful part of your journey is that you have been confronting these conditions of life, how to set particular aims, how to put structures in place for you to achieve those things, and that everything else revolves around that process. What do you think people listening should know about that process? I think the most impactful thing to consider is that what the marketplace, and we say the marketplace, you know, just what we're bombarded with every day, media, TV, other people that's in the narrative of society will not lead you in this direction. It took me stepping aside, actually dedicating the time to understanding that there are these different aspects of life. Like I said before, I was just living life, spending money on the new hot thing and going out drinking, that kind of thing. No real like direction or whatever, because that's exactly where the marketplace wants us. Because that way we can be as vulnerable as we can be to commercials or the ad that we see on a billboard on the way to work every day. Or even better is what you hear word of mouth from people you work with or that you see on Facebook. It just lends you to no clear direction or access to actually really having what you want without doing that study and actually having that dedicated time of setting aside and saying, okay, here's this particular slice of life. What do I want from that? What would that look like? As we study our aims, it's not just an idea. And I think that's the thing that started making the most difference is that this is not theoretical. It's not a feel-good. What do you want? How do you design a transaction to go get it? What personality types do you need to understand to negotiate with and transact with to achieve it? And then what's the next aim after that? So as we study our aims, we've got what's the long-term aim? Ultimately, what do we want? In our ideal world, what is that slice of life like? And then more importantly, in 2017, what's our aim for 2017 that leads in that direction? And then how do we measure that so that at the end of the year, when we see that this thing is happening, we know that we met the 2017 aim for that condition. That's very well said. Getting that on the ground, I think, is the most That's the thing that from day one, we focused on getting this into practice and how do you do it and working that muscle like going to the gym. I use it without even thinking today. You just have it and you're able to use it at any time you're dealing with someone in a transaction that you're trying to gain compliance for your aims. It's a a toolbox that you're able to dive into, but it only comes from dedicating the time, studying it, practicing it, and then achieving it essentially. If you'd like to know more about influence ecology and our approach, check out our webinar, Ambitious Living, The Eight Defining Principles. The webinar is available globally. We'll teach you the core principles practiced by the most successful and effective men and women we know. This webinar is for those who aspire to an influential life that provides measurable satisfaction for themselves, their family, and their organizations. 
This webinar is specifically designed for those who don't want to sacrifice a well-balanced life for superior financial rewards. They want it all. To find out more, you can find the link in the show notes for this podcast at influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. That's influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. Or in the U.S. or Canada, you can text the word AMBITION to 805-262-9008 and we'll send the registration link right to your mobile phone. Again, text the word AMBITION to 805-262-9008. Also in our show notes, you'll find all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. As I'm listening, you're obviously quite passionate about this. Sorry, that's my favorite topic. I know. Well, it's obvious you're passionate about it. I want to take a moment and unpack that a little bit because there's a reason you're passionate about it. Obviously, it has impacted you in some way, but why are you passionate about all that? I like big, sexy futures. How do you get that? It's a, it's a direct access to articulating and getting it. I mean, that's it. That's what I use it for. And so I've been able to do so many different things that if I consider where I grew up in my education and where I am now... I'm sitting here on the 35th floor of a building downtown Chicago, staring at the Hancock building, and I have the life that I do. It's fun to not only be able to dream, but also be able to, okay, here's how we go do that. And I'm not saying like, I know how to do everything. It's not just setting the aim. Because like I said, once you realize what your aim is, you start to to look at where you are and you're like, crap. (laughs) You know, you get that, that sense of doom. Then you start looking at, okay, well, what could we do? Who knows who's done this? Who can I talk to? Who do I already know? Who knows who that I could talk to that's done this? And you start being able to expand your network of people on a particular path. And then talking about career, how people know you in the marketplace, you start taking actions toward that path. People start to get to know you that you're about that thing. And then that leads to more results. And it's a practical way of getting a big, sexy future. All right. Very clear. Well, I think I, I want to go back to something you said a little earlier because it's you talked about the marketplace and you talked about the way in which the marketplace seduces us with all kinds of things and that we never stop and take the time to, to think accurately about what we want and why and so forth. But I don't think that you mean that like the marketplace is some evil conspiracy or that there's some single entity out there to seduce you with its wares and keep you locked in its dungeon. I don't think you mean that, but yet at the same time, not that it is that way, but it certainly has that consequence when you and I don't pull ourselves out from it and say, okay, let's look at this thing for what it is. So let's just go back and talk about the shortcut culture, if you will, and how we got to this place. One of the very first things that we teach in the fundamentals of transaction program is that You and I are transacting every day to satisfy our aims in every condition of life. And so are seven and a half billion other people. Everyone is out there to satisfy their aims. They are transacting for their aims. They are indifferent to your aims. They want what they want. They don't care what you want. And their job is to sell you stuff. Yep. And their job is to make that look sexy. Their job is to make that look enticing and so forth. So what we do is we talk about all of that sexy narrative about what you should want, what you should have as the current. That's what we call it. We say you get swept up in the current. So 
Brandon, in your notes, and I really love this, you said we've really become a shortcut culture, relying too much on shortcuts and social media and other things to guide our thoughts, feelings, and actions instead of actually disconnecting and purposefully figuring out what we want out of life. How come you think that is? And what have you done here at Influence Ecology that's pulled you out from the current so that you can move independent from it? I think the easiest example for me to point to is the election. The U.S. election? Yeah, the U.S. election. So I'm I'm not going to get into the details, but I think one of the main things from the election is that so many people assumed one thing or another about how it was going to go. It was so complex that if you really took the time to get in, you, you might have been able to see it. From the example earlier, going to the voting booth and only understanding, only knowing the, the first names on the ballot, the rest, most likely people just choose. And they just say they go with their party or they go whatever because they don't have the time or the interest or they don't feel it impacts them or whatever. And so we just mark the rest of the ballot based on our party or don't and call it good. And so we and then we live with the consequences. It could also be said for how we got into the mortgage crisis. People didn't really understand what they were getting into. It was, I'm going to trust this person and the numbers make sense. So let's just get into it. And not knowing that we had so many people that shouldn't have actually gotten mortgages. So it sounds like what you're saying is, is that generally speaking, there are all kinds of situations or all kinds of ways in which in life we accept the offers sold us and don't investigate them enough to be moving accurately with them. So we get what we get. Yeah. I philosophically think of it this way. Our society is so technologically advanced. Information moves so quickly and then it transforms and changes and it's interpreted and reinterpreted and, and it changes so rapidly that it's almost impossible for somebody to sit and dissect every single thing that's thrown at them so where they get all of that specialized knowledge on that individual thing because we're literally bombarded with decisions almost every minute of every day whether we realize it or not when it comes to larger decisions or especially our conditions of life if we don't take that time and separate out time to build our knowledge and our what we call our specialized knowledge in that particular area to actually know that we're moving forward with an aim in mind and purposefully so we can actually achieve the aim that we're, we're trying to do. I say it's a shortcut culture because the faster it moves, the more we're just relying on the information that's readily available to us without validating that source, without considering that with our aims if we're not studied in that way. So it just starts to compile and compound the issue as we advance as a society. We could pile on to the argument that's now quite popular about the complexity of information, fake news. <laughs> Alternative facts. <laughs> Alternative facts. Currently, at the moment, we're all piling on and we're all wondering, how the heck do I get facts? How the heck do I get the truth? How the heck do I think accurately about how I'm going to move? I don't know that I want to pile on. I think what I'd like to do is offer a solution or offer a clearing in the woods or something like that. 
And I know you've experienced that by studying here, and I can talk about it, but instead I'd rather you talk about it. So what's our way out of hell, Brandon Hollenbeek? (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of a self-actualization or just a humbling way of thinking about it. There's no way. You can't possibly have specialized knowledge on every decision that you're going to make every day. And really, it's just for me, who my personality type is the inventor and very future-based. I'm very optimistic, and I feel like I know everything already. And if I don't, then I nobody's going to find that out. So for me, it's just humbling in the fact that I'm not going to know everything about everything that I'm involved in. The main thing for me is that I have certain aims that I want to move forward, and those are what I'm focused on. You better believe that if I've got an aim, that I'm actually in conversations to make sure I'm calling BS on facts, I'm getting an accountability structure you know, with somebody else if, I've, if I have work to do or practice to do that somebody else is holding me accountable. I'm not going to know everything, but it's studying those aims and those conditions, those slices of life that I am working on and focusing on that. And I feel like for me, at least, that's been the access to be able to achieve my aims in those conditions. Once you and I are quite clear about our aims, that offers us an opportunity. I've watched you over the course of seven years do probably some of the best work I've seen in this ecology globally on the articulation of your aims. So... What does knowing your aim clearly allow for in the moment? Well, the main thing is to be able to say yes to what brings me towards that and no to things that would take away from that. So if I've got a money aim and I'm looking at the new iPhone. <laughs> it's very sexy. It is. But it's it just takes practice. It's like anything else where it's it's a muscle. So if I have a specific aim it becomes very clear on whether that's part of the aim or not. If I have a health aim and I'm looking at a Big Mac and I need to make sure that I'm able to run five miles a day, I'm most likely not going to be able to do that eating a Big Mac all the time. It starts to become the main point that I'm able to make a decision on whether I'm going to do something or not. Is it in line with my aims? It's our experience that when people take the time over time to articulate their aims and craft them quite carefully, it's a little bit like what John Dewey says when he says a problem well put is half solved when you get quite clear about your aims. In other words, where are you headed and have you thought accurately about that? And once you have thought accurately, I use money because it's so easy. Once you've thought very accurately about how much money you need and how come you need that much and how, how much will you need when you're 90 and how much will you need in the area of the country where you live, where people don't live that long or they do live that long? When you think accurately about all those things, you've done that, then in the moment when someone says, hey, Brandon, you want a Big Mac? Hey, Brandon, here's this sexy new car. Hey, Brandon, how about going into debt? You know, you could go into debt right now and have that right now. Mm-hmm. What you're saying is it's quite easy to accept or decline in accordance with your aims, right? Yeah. And career, things that don't seem as easy for that. With career, like once I got clear about what I wanted to be known for in the marketplace, I started being able to understand really easily when somebody says, hey, can you help me with this, you know, this, this piece? Or can you help me do this piece of my business? Or can you help me 
code this app for me or something. I know because I'm clear about what I need to be spending my time on, so I'm known for in the marketplace, I'm able to say no to certain things like that and what to say yes to when I have the opportunity to because it's going to further my my identity in the marketplace or it's going to further money or it's going to further one of the conditions. It becomes a lot easier in, even in the, the conditions that don't seem as easy to tell whether I should say yes or no to something if I have a clear aim in that condition. Is there anything else that you wanted to say about cutting through the complexity and the clutter of information in the current? I think the main thing is just realizing that there are slices of life and that it's not just one thing and actually taking the time to step aside, turn the phone off, turn your computer off, go get somewhere alone or, or somewhere amazing that inspires you and just start thinking about what you want in each one of those conditions and then figure out if I don't know what actions to take to get there, who might? And just start having those conversations. For me, I have to separate myself in order to do that. It is not natural for us as human beings. And it's not natural for the marketplace. You'll never hear from somebody, hey, put time aside to actually go think about your life and, and get into practice about where you want to be going. You might hear that from a university and some cool marketing pitch, but that's about it. Yeah, one of our mantras we have to practice and say often to people, especially in the beginning of our programs, is slow down in order to speed up. And we say it a lot. I have to say it and say it and ring that bell, slow down to speed up, because there is so much clutter. There is so much complexity. And I think the last thing I want to look at the book Influence, um, in that book, I know you know the book, but for our audience in that book, Robert Cialdini talks about the uh, influence and persuasion principles that we all use to shortcut life. In other words, when we go out on the street and we want to go to a restaurant, we'll look to see which restaurant is empty and which one is packed. We know the one that's packed is popular, so it must be good. So it's a shortcut we use to be able to determine if something's good or not. We don't have to research it ourselves don't have to eat there five times and try it over and over again. We can just look at the social proof and determine whether or not that restaurant is good. And in that book, there are several different kinds of influence principles he points to. And fundamentally, Brandon, as you know, they're all used for us as human beings to shortcut certain decisions. My question to you is, is there any way in which studying those influence principles has also helped you defend yourself against your sort of automatic or biological tendency to want to shortcut what might be good to study or slow down to speed up? I think that's one of the uh, most effective studies that we've had, especially in the early stages of the fundamentals program. Being able to know how I'm being influenced every day was crazy. This is a book that I've heard a lot of salespeople and people that are great at negotiating use, and it's, it's part of their early repertoire and, and reading and studying. I've never heard somebody say, I purposely practice that all the time, though. But since we do, and I was able to study that and start seeing it in pretty much every marketing slogan every, you know, in the news in and how other people speak to each other and how I was presented with offers. 
And so I was able to say, oh, I see what you're doing there. You're, you're using scarcity on me, which is you're trying to convince me how valuable it is and how super rare it is. So I'll make sure to take extra effort to get it versus looking past the emotions that you're, you're drawing from me. I'm able to see what you're doing as a tool. And then I'm able to, in doing so, actually consider whether that's part of my aims or not, instead of being, getting caught up in the emotions of it. That's the first step. And then the second one, we study it so well, then I'm actually able to build that into my offers to use it when I transact because it is effective and it's not unethical. It's a way of, of explaining your offer. You've got somebody that does a great sales pitch. You've got somebody that does a stellar sales pitch and that's the one that people choose because it's a winning pitch. It's very convincing and all of these things. Well, it's because of how they've interacted with your biology and pitching that to you that it brought out those emotions and made you think about it in a certain way. Again, it's another toolbox, but knowing when it's, when it's being used on me, that's step one. So I can actually separate myself from it and consider my aims. And then step two, I can actually use that when I'm designing transactions and offers for other people. That's great. Well said. All right. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to say or like for us to know about your journey, your studies, or you? Like I said, it's been a trip. I'm just going to keep creating aims and building transactions that achieve them because you got to be careful what you ask for because in this, I've been getting it <laughs> consistently. I could show you. And with you and our study group, it's been, we all four bought houses in the same year. We didn't even plan it. So it's rising tide lifts all boats. We've got a great structure. It's what I saw before I started. It was the conversation that I had with you and I had with Kirkland and it's why I'm still participating today. So I'm making a lot of money for it and I'm very happy and wouldn't give it up. Me neither. All right, Brandon Hollenbeek, thank you so much for being our guest today. I truly appreciate you. I appreciate our friendship and our work together. Thank you for being one of our longest customers. I look forward to our continued work together. Me too. It's been an honor. As I said in our Guru Talk, we'll listen in on the second session of a Fundamentals of Transaction Program webinar classroom. This is one of 12 webinar classrooms held over a six-month period of time. And in this talk, we'll hear about the importance of accurate thinking and the satisfaction of your aims. Here's the talk. I have a commitment that each and every one of you leaves this program satisfying with your work, career, money, and health, not as a matter of some fantasy, not as a matter of some declaration, but in reality, that you are satisfying those things in reality. Now, how does that happen? Well, first of all, if you don't think accurately, if you don't do an accurate assessment, you will end up where you're already headed. I'm going to say that one more time. If you don't think accurately and if you don't do an accurate assessment, you will end up where you're already headed. If you don't know the money you require now and into the future, into your old age, and how you're going to make that money, how you're going to produce it, what it's going to take to produce it, then you're going to hope, you're going to finger cross. You're going to do all kinds of things in the absence of a pathway to produce that income. And so we're here to help you produce the reality of that accomplishment 
But there's one place you've got to start. You've got to take the bull by the tail and look at the, I can't remember how that saying goes. But anyway, you got to look this thing in the face. You got to look right, you got to look at it right in the face. You got to look at this money. You got to look at that situation. You got to look at your career. You got to look at your health. You got to be willing to tell the truth about those things or it it ain't going to turn out too well. So I know that you're here for that and we're here to help, but I can't get you to, I can't force you to, or will you to look at your money, work, career, and health with an accurate assessment. That's up to you and you need to move ambitiously about it. So we encourage you to do the work to think accurately. Now we're going to help you between now and study paper number five. We're going to have you do some work on steps one through five to think accurately about your aims in each condition of life. Think about your general and specialized knowledge and really get a sense of your uh, personality and transactional behavior. We're going to focus on these things because we got to get you oriented around you as a transactional organism as a transactional behavior, as a personality. And then in study paper number six and seven, and then moving into eight, we're going to get you so clear about your aims. We're going to get you so clear about how much money you need, what your health is going to require, what will it take to produce the identity that you seek, that we're going to be able to begin to construct to construct the transactions to satisfy those aims. What we're here to do, and if it's not clear to you, is we're here to get you to think accurately about these four conditions of life and then build the transactions to satisfy them as a matter of reality. So we're not going to get to building this transaction now. And you better put the brakes on a little bit, better be a little patient, because you're not ready yet. I promise you, you're not ready yet before you waste a bunch of time trying to get there as soon as you can, which is most of what people do. They don't think accurately. They try to get there fast. They try to get there, you know, too soon. And make sure you're ready to think accurately about that before we move into the construction of these transactions. Now, the difficult part of thinking accurately, the difficult part about an accurate assessment is I don't know if you've known or paid attention, but there's a lot of stuff going on in the world that's called fake news. There's a lot of stuff in the world that's just sort of information. There's a lot of information out there. How how do I find accurate information? How do I get a clear picture? Well, it's not easy. It's not easy because you and I live in a world of shortcuts. You and I live in a short cut culture. See, in the absence of a pathway to produce these conditions, you and I are going to do a variety of things based on our personality. The inventors will likely believe, and it shall be, the performers will likely gather everybody together and try to, as a community of people, get something to go some way. The producers will labor themselves to death, and the judges will form a protest and say, well, this isn't right. This should be some other way. And that's basically what happens in a shortcut culture where there are no easy solutions. We want the answers now. We want them to go very, very quickly, but it isn't that simple. Thinking accurately takes work. Thinking accurately takes study. 
One of the reasons this is called a study as opposed to something else is because we're committed that you get trained and developed in the habit and practice of study. Why? You'll need to think accurately. And secondly, if you're going to offer specialized knowledge, you're going to have to stay ahead of the curve. In our next episode, we interview Paul Adams, president and CEO of Sound Financial Group in Seattle, Washington, and hear him talk about money. One of the most powerful things for most people who are going to participate in a program with Influence Ecology, whether it's Fundamentals of Transaction or coming to the annual member conference, is the way that Influence Ecology actually talks about people's money and them caring for it. I've had people that get massively discouraged by a speaker around money, but Influence Ecology does such a great job that people realize they got to pay attention to it that one day they're going to have to have enough money and they need to understand how much that is and they need to be thinking about it and care for it and cultivate it. What I see way too often at organizations that are working on personal development is it might be all about rah-rah, let's make as much money as you can. But Influence Ecology does an amazing job of both we need to produce these results so you can take care of your conditions of life and one of them is you better have your money handled. Because one day, either you got to have your money handled or money is going to handle you and you won't like it. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to share it with others, you can find it and share it from our website at influenceecology.com. You can also find us on iTunes to subscribe. We'd love to know what you think, so please take a moment and offer us a review. Thank you for another great episode of the Influence Ecology podcast. I'm your host, John Patterson. I'd like to thank our guest for a great interview. In our show notes, you'll find links to connect with them and all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. This podcast is made possible by the brilliant work of the Influence Ecology staff, mentors, and members around the world. We're grateful for co-founder Kirkland Tibbles and his 30-plus years of specialized study and practice that make all this possible. Episode producer, editor, and music supervisor, Jason Kelly. Podcast copy and show notes, editing, and links by Carol Gregory.